Well, good morning, Emmanuel. It's so great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Tyler Patty, and um, I'm, I'm with you um, on my balcony in the Czech Republic in the city of Ostrava. Um, and we've got a beautiful 14th century church behind us. Um, two and a half years ago, you, uh, Emmanuel Anglican Church, sent us as missionaries to the Czech Republic to train uh, young leaders in theological education and, and church planting uh, to strengthen the church and to spread the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. And so we're so grateful that you guys did that and that we can be with you like this uh, in a small way online, thanks to the pandemic. <laughs> We were actually supposed to be with you all in person for the parish retreat, and we were so looking forward to being uh, with you and worshiping with you and sharing stories, hearing stories, um, watching our boys play with, uh, with your kids. But unfortunately, we had to postpone that probably till next summer. So, but isn't it great that we can connect like this? Um, I'm really looking forward to continuing our series in Jeremiah, titled God Wants Us Back. And we're going to look at Jeremiah 29. This morning. So why don't I pray and then we'll get started. Oh God, our Father and King, um, we need you more than ever right now. There are so many things in the world uh, and in our backyard uh, that are just too overwhelming for us to handle on our own. We need, we need your eyes uh, to see what you are up to um, and uh, where you are on mission. Help us to join you in what you're doing in Chicago and around the world. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our main ministry here in the Czech Republic is with a school, with a college called Four Mission College. And it's a really unique uh, program uh, for young leaders across Central and Eastern Europe to equip them in uh, missional thinking, in missional theology, uh, preparing them to take the gospel and plant missional communities wherever God's take, God takes them. And we just launched this program in the fall of 2019. Uh, a lot of work up to that point, but the launch was incredibly smooth. We have amazing students, 12 students from four different countries, uh, and we meet uh, in, in a, on an intensive basis. Um, so six times a year we gather at our conference center, and then on the off weeks we actually send them back to their churches, to their ministries, where they can put into practice what they're learning on our course. Well, we gathered together at our March intensive thinking that it would just be uh, like any other conference. Um, we had the room set up, we had snacks prepared, we were ready to dig deep into topics, topics of uh, theology and sociology and missional ministry. And we got one day into our lectures and got news. News from the Czech Ministry of Education that they were shutting down all colleges, all high schools, all elementary schools because of the pandemic. This was right at the beginning of its spread here in Europe and um, we just had to pack up immediately, um, finished our, out our day of teaching and packed up and, and sent people home. Now that was easy for our students who live in the Czech Republic, but we have some students who are from much, much farther away. And so at first we were thinking, oh, we don't want to send them like so far home immediately. Maybe they can stay in the conference center and just connect uh, over Zoom and we'll continue our lectures over Zoom just with everybody else as well. And so our German student and our Bulgarian student, they stayed. And uh, the next day we gathered and we, we went through more lectures together and had some great discussions uh, and then uh, went to sleep. And then the next day we attempted to continue 
but we started getting news that the borders were closing. And uh, we started panicking because that meant that maybe our German student, maybe our Bulgarian student wouldn't be able to get home. Um, for the German student, it was fairly easy just to hop on a train. But for our Bulgarian student, it, he had to, uh, had to fly home. And the, the route is pretty complicated. It's pretty far south. And he has a wife and a small, a, wife, a pregnant wife and, and a small uh, two-year-old son at home. Being cut off for them would, be, would just be disastrous. And so we hatched a plan, uh, and the only plan that we could think of that really made sense uh, and was sure enough to get him home was to get in a car and to drive four hours um, into the night to Vienna, to the airport in Vienna. Now, um, we did it. We, we drove. We were hoping and praying that they would let us across the border into Austria. And not only that, but then also that they would let me back over the border into the Czech Republic so that I wouldn't be cut off from my family. And praise God, everything everything went really smoothly. We got um, the, this Bulgarian student to the airport. He slept on a bench that night and then flew out early the next morning. And this was the beginning of the pandemic for us, beginning of, beginning of the crisis, beginning of our kind of exile. Pretty soon, other things started locking down. We were... Um, uh, the, the government uh, limited our movement. Um, there, we were given strict hours where we could go to the grocery store, and that was basically the only reason we could go outside. Uh, if we did go outside, we had to wear a mask. We had to limit contact with people. And I'm sure I'm not sharing anything new. <laughs> that, that th These kinds of things are now universal. But it was it was very disorienting, very incredibly disorienting. Not only did our ministry with college students change overnight, but suddenly our family rhythms were changing. The, the relationships, the way that we were used to building relationships were changing. I was having to do conflict management over Zoom, uh, which is much less than ideal. Incredibly disorienting, incredibly uh, demotivating, incredibly stressful. Um, it was our little exile. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one who feels like that uh, with everything that's been going on. 2020 has been just uh, an incredibly disorienting year, hasn't it? I'm, I'm sure that you've got stories as well from your job, from your, from your education, from your school, um, from your family relationships, maybe health crises. This has been a very difficult year. And if we're being honest, maybe some of us are feeling some, some less than ideal emotions, maybe emotions we'd uh, rather not admit to, but maybe you're still there. Maybe we're feeling a little bit of self-pity. Like, ah, oh, why did this happen to me? Why did it happen at this time? I was just fill in the blank. I was just getting started in my job. I was just making progress in this relationship. And it just, it's, it's less than ideal. I, I feel sorry for myself. Maybe you're feeling a bit of discontentment as well. Discontent. Just feeling like stir crazy. Maybe you're so ready to get out of your house, um, get out and back into the mountains, get back to a, a live music performance, um, get, get back to the gym, uh, and, and you're just feeling discontentment. Like, uh, I'm just not happy with where I'm at right now. Maybe you're feeling a bit of nostalgia as well. Like, remember... Remember, remember before all this happened, remember how oh, life was so good, relationships were so stable, so dependable, my job, my school, um, my, my, just my, uh, my activities, my hobbies. Oh, back then, yeah, that was, a, that, that, that was a great time. 
Maybe you're feeling some of these emotions of self-pity, discontent, nostalgia. And what I'd like to reflect on this morning is, is there another way? <laughs> is, is there another way than living with these emotions? I, I'm not proud of these emotions creeping up in me, and I'm sure you're not as I, I, either. Is there another way? What is our calling? What's our calling? While we're in a place where we don't want to be. What is our calling while we are stuck in a place where we don't want to be? That's, that's almost a textbook definition of exile. Being in a place where you don't want to be. <laughs> being in a place where you don't want to be. These are really important questions. What's our vocation? What's our calling while we're in a place where we don't want to be? John Goldingate, an Old Testament theologian, thinks that this question, this topic of exile, he says, is actually the most meaningful image for the church in Europe, where we are, and, in, and coming up in the church in the United States. It's defining for our vocation, for our practice, for our spiritual life. What does it mean to live faithfully in a place where I don't want to be? Well, for this, we're going to look to Jeremiah 29 and continue our series. I hope that the reading ministered to your soul, and we're going to unpack this text. Now, a little bit of background. Jeremiah 29. Um, Jeremiah is under a lot of pressure right now. Um, and not just Jeremiah. The whole nation is under a lot of pressure. As you know, Jeremiah is not the most popular prophet on the block. Um, He's been warning the nation, he and others have been warning the nation for years and generations that the nation's stability and security depends on faithfulness to the love of God. Their stability and security depends on faithfulness to God and his love. Unfortunately, that message has been scorned and rejected time and time again in Jeremiah's lifetime and in the lifetime of other prophets as well. And exile has finally come. Exile has finally come. Babylon is invaded. Jerusalem taken over. Um, it's captured. The king uh, actually killed the king's children so that there's no heir to the throne. Blinded the king, taken him into, into exile as a hostage. They've, they've uh, commanded all of the, the top, the elite of society to pack, pack up and, and move. And so this includes the elders, the priests, the social, the political elite, any craftsmen, uh, people of, of influence um, and, and means, they're to pack up and leave the, uh, leave the city of Jerusalem. It's a ghost town. It's a ghost town now. There are some people who are left, but it's mostly people who are less than important in the eyes of Babylon. And this includes Jeremiah, actually. Um, we don't know if it's because uh, the people just ignored him for so long that Babylon thought, you know what, he's probably not that big a deal. Or maybe they were actually fans uh, of his message because, of course, he warned Israel that Babylon was God's instrument of judgment for the nation and that this exile and this takeover, political takeover, was actually all his plan. So, in any case... All the important people are gone, and Jeremiah is stuck in Jerusalem. But his ministry, his mission continues, and he continues to preach. But there are 
rival preachers. There are rival preachers, other false prophets who are very much contradicting, contradicting Jeremiah. They're claiming this exile is not so bad. Actually, you know what? Just wait a little bit longer. I know, I know Jeremiah said 70 years, but, but maybe two, maybe, how about two? Is everybody happy with two? Okay, great. So two years, two years. And you know what? It's not really worth settling in Babylon. Just, just hold it out and God's going to have you right back. Well, these rumors spread beyond the walls of Jerusalem and actually all the way to Babylon. There were messengers and envoys going back and forth because of um, political uh, reasons. Uh, and, and this message made its way to the exiles. Oh, you know what? The exile's not going to take much longer. You know what? God's going to have mercy on you. It's not going to be as bad as he thought, as he said. It's not going to be as bad as you think. It's a Jeremiah writes a letter. Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles. And that's our reading for today. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elassah, the son of Shaphan, and Gebariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah is sending a letter. He's sending a letter with some really trustworthy people because Elassah and Gemariah belong to priestly families, families who actually assisted Josiah in his religious reforms a couple generations prior. And they seem to be on Jeremiah's team. And so they bring a letter. And it said, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. Thus says the Lord, says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's the message. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your sons in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is an exhortation of epic proportion. An exhortation to sober thinking and a change in perspective about Babylon. Jeremiah is saying, you think this is going to be over in two years? Try three generations. <laughs> the 70 years still stand and you need to be ready that this is not a quick fix problem. It's going to take a while till you're ready to return. And so build houses, plant gardens, get married, have kids, marry off those kids. <laughs> this is a multi-generational project. Settle down, identify with the community, and multiply. 
This word should trigger something in us if we know the story of the people of God or even the story of God. Because in the beginning, when God created people to be his image bearers, he told them to multiply. That's, that's a key trigger for us to be reminded of the vocation of humanity to image God and, and go and go to the ends of the earth and bring his glory with us. It also triggers the story of the Exodus for us because we know that while Israel was in captivity in Egypt, they multiplied. And that was the beginning of God's restorative and rescuing work with this bigger family, the family of Israel. And we know that this family, as they multiplied, have a vocation to image God, to reflect him to the world, and to go to the ends of the earth, to go to take the glory of God, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the mission is on. The mission continues. And what does this mission look like in this context? In Babylon, of all places, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray for it because its welfare is your welfare. This word welfare here translated is the Hebrew word shalom. And Eugene Peterson has, a, has just a beautiful definition of this word shalom. He says, shalom means wholeness, the dynamic, vibrating health of a society that pulses with divinely directed purpose and surges with life-transforming love. Shalom, wholeness, well-being. This is to be their worship. The temple is gone. The sacrificial system is gone. This is to be their worship, to seek the welfare of this foreign land, of this city, which is actually prophesied for destruction. Seventy years is the promise, but they're supposed to pray for it, contribute to its development, to its, its sanctification, if you will. Their calling lies in Babylon, and their calling is tied to a very ordinary sort of life, as we read, to build a Babylonian house to grow Babylonian food, to learn some Babylonian recipes, to get to know your Babylonian neighbors, to send your kids to Babylonian schools, to seek the welfare of the city, to become not assimilated, but integrated into society with multiple generations in mind. This is a long-term project. There are no quick fixes here. But this is their calling. But in order to engage in this calling, they have to combat those false views, the false dreams. And so the message continues. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Who are these false prophets, these diviners? Well, we know some of their names. Ahab, 
Zedekiah, Shemaiah, and there are others. But these people were really capitalizing on those negative emotions that are quite understandable. They're capitalizing on the self-pity of the people and their loss of confidence in the Lord. They're capitalizing on their discontent. Actually, they're instigating some rebellions as well. And some of the elders are getting their heads chopped off. And they're capitalizing on nostalgia, on this feeling of unrootedness of, do I really have to adjust to this new way of life? But these rumors, these prophecies are nothing short of false and not just false, but they're actually destructive. Because false dreams interfere with honest living. False dreams interfere with honest living and with the living that we're meant to carry out as part of our vocation. So we need to cut those off, call them what they are, self-pity, discontent, nostalgia. We need to let go of them if we're to build those houses, plant those vineyards, marry off our kids, get rooted, work, on, work for the welfare of the city. And the message continues in our last section. For thus says the Lord. Don't you love it? Each of these sections starts, thus says the Lord, to make it so clear that this is God's perspective. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord declares Yahweh plans for welfare, for shalom, and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Contrary to these false prophets who are offering shortcut solutions, solutions of disengagement, disentanglement, maybe of kind of trying to force God's hand as well, force the change. Um, let's stir up some, some discontent and, and maybe try to rise up against our overlords in Babylon. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. There's no shortcut here. There's only one way through exile. It's not backwards. It's not around it. It's straight through, 70 years, and then I will bring you back. Restoration waits on the other side of this judgment. They have to take this seriously. Take full stock of, of where their decisions have led them, their faithlessness, their decision to reject and and scorn Yahweh over and over again. It's going to take 70 years till they're ready to return, but they have a vocation now. 
If they were unwilling to participate in the mission of God back in Israel, maybe Babylon is a good place to start. Where everything that is safe, that is sure, that is secure, is stripped away. And now, now we can see what's really important. They're to seek him with all their heart. Isn't that what God has always wanted of his people? To seek him with all their heart. And here we're not talking about any emotions, just drumming up the right emotions to pursue God. But this means with all your will, with all your energy, devote yourself to me, says the Lord. Seek me and you will find me. I am not far away. I may be the God of Israel, the God of Zion, but I am with you in Babylon. I am right here. And yes, we're going to walk through this hard journey together. But if you seek me, you will find me. And I've got amazing things for you on the other end of this exile. I will bring you back. There is restoration on the other side. It's not restoration you need to force. You need to participate in this process. Put down roots here. Trust me right now. And I'll get you to the other side. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What's the good news from this text today? Well, the good news and the challenge is that God seeks us. God, sorry, God calls us to seek the long-term shalom, well-being of the people in places where we'd rather not be. He calls us to seek the welfare of the places and people where we'd rather not be. And you know what? This disruption of an exile is actually an opportunity to reject the shortcut promises of false prophets and contend for God's purposes, contend for God's mission. So what does this mean for for you and for me? I actually feel like it it means quite the same thing because of this global situation, the feeling of exile that we find ourselves in, and also because our vocation uh, as a church is, is tied to this theme of exile. So I have a couple thoughts for us. First is to take a long view of exile. Take a long view of exile. Settle in. Whether that means making more long-term plans with the coronavirus um, or settling into the long process of, of fighting for justice, Settle in. Take a long-term view of exile. And you know what? One of the things that we can do in taking this long-term view, not just building our homes and planting our gardens and getting to know our neighbors and loving people in everyday, ordinary ways, but one of the best ways we can settle in for the long haul is preparing our children for the long haul. We read in, in this text that part of their vocation is to have kids and then marry them off and prepare them to have kids. I, we have two small kids. We have a, a four-year-old and a, excuse me, 
four-year-old and a, and a three-year-old, um, and they are third culture kids. They are the definition of kids in exile. They're American by passport, they live in the Czech Republic, they go to Czech school, but they're not really American, they're not really Czech. And our, our, our missionary kid um, team with Josiah Venture, with our organization, did a study on third culture kids a number of months ago, and they found that one of the things that's unique about third culture kids is their resilience. I think that totally counts for exile kids as well. Their resilience and how this resilience is formed is by a combination of, of, um, oh, I got to find it now. Combination of, of pressure um, and of, of, of support. Combination of, in, of intense challenge with, with all the support and love in the world. Do you want your kids to be resilient? <laughs> Followers of Jesus who are settled in for the long haul, help them be resilient by encouraging them to step into hard things, encouraging them to stand for the light in the darkness, to put down roots. The second thing is to, to seek the shalom of the place that you'd rather not be. This actually includes just everyday living. This, this, that's the key to this, this vocation of seeking the shalom is to building house. Build, build a house that's maybe a new house. Um, it's gonna look different on the other side of COVID. We've been saying that. Ministry is gonna look different. Your, your job is gonna look different. Your relationships are gonna look different. Settle in, build a new house, plant a garden, start investing in your future, not just planning for the next week. Build relationships, build deep relationships with those who are like you and those who are not like you. Start making those investments for the long haul and in so doing, seek the welfare, the shalom of the place that you'd rather not be. And the third challenge for us is to turn to God with all of our heart. And this being a, a direct act of, of, of rebellion against those feelings of self-pity, of discontent, of nostalgia that just drag us down and keep us from participating in the mission of God. Turn to God with all of your heart. If you feel discouraged, if you feel broken, if you feel lonely, turn to God with all of your heart in repentance in faith, trust in our Lord Jesus. Turn to him, turn away from those things, turn to him and put your faith in him that he will see you through, not with quick fixes, but with his faithfulness and his love and the hope of his restoration. So take the long view of the exile. Seek the shalom of the place you'd rather not be and turn to God with all of your heart you know, it's interesting that this period for the Hebrews turned out to be something really amazing. Not everybody accepted this message from Jeremiah, but a lot of them did. And this period of exile, these 70 years, turned out to be one of the most creative periods in all of their history. 
they took their vocation seriously. We actually have um, have some archaeological data that shows that they engaged in new vocations even. They learned how to fish, for example. <laughs> but they were also involved in politics. They, they climbed their way to the top uh, uh, and into some incredibly significant roles. They participated in the, in the shalom of Babylon. They reflected deeply on their history, on their own culture, on their practice, on their spiritual practices, and on the scriptures, like never before. It was an incredibly creative time for the Hebrews. They lost everything. They lost everything that once gave them stability, and they found what was most important. They found God. And of course there were challenges later on to come, but they found God in exile. Don't you want that? I know I definitely do. In our ministry, uh, I feel like I'm still swimming, uh, both Lara and I. Uh, they're just, every day there are new challenges and there's always the pressure to just keep my head down, focused on a couple steps ahead, managing my life and and trying to control things that are really outside of my control. I need to receive this message, maybe more than anyone, to settle in for the long haul, to take this exile seriously, and to look for opportunities for mission, for seeking the welfare of the city where I've been placed, for the people in the places where I'd maybe rather not be. We met with a pastor of a local church uh, just a couple days ago, they had us over for lunch, and, and he asked us, Are you really planning on staying here? How long do you plan on being here? And we said, We're here. Our roots are, 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 are we're planting our roots. And I hope that you can say the same. Wherever God's placed you, put those roots down, build those houses, plant those gardens, Build those relationships. Our mission is actually not over because of exile. It's still the same, but maybe in sharper focus than ever before. Emmanuel, your mission is to lift high the Son of God in the city of Chicago, that all might be drawn to him. That mission stays the same and is maybe even in sharper focus than it has ever been before. Participate in this mission of God in the everyday ways. We may not be where we want to be, but as all we thought was once important is stripped away, may we actually find the most important thing, God himself. And may he invite us to participate in his mission, which is still going on, still going on, because he's on a mission to restore all things to himself. And maybe the place to start is by praying for the welfare of Babylon and starting to plant that garden so that we can see a teeming garden city. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.